Hello and welcome to another episode of Naturally Adventurous. I'm Charlie Hesse and I'm joined as ever by my good friend Ken Behrens. Hi everybody. How's it go? We don't have a high folks today. <laughs> well, want to mix it up a bit. Ch- changing things up. Yeah, I don't want to be <laughs> typecast. My my son, I think he, he follows your example that he's got his little catchphrase when he when we do our videos. He goes, "Hi guys!" I noticed. I noticed that he's becoming <laughs> a, an online personality. Yeah, you got to have your little uh, your little in phrase. Yep. Well, the uh, right the pandemic continues. Um, we were, before we started recording, we were chatting a bit about how we were we were both sort of psychologically braced for a year off a sort of sabbatical. And I think we both made yep. good use of it and, you know, studied languages. Uh-huh. You did uh, what you did, Thai and Mandarin, and I studied some Portuguese. Mandarin, yeah. Not nearly as much as you did, I'm sure, but I did a bit of that and various other projects. And and now it's 2021, and it's looking like there's probably going to be virtually no guiding work this whole year. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit hard to process. You, you know what? It's, it's not just us, there. It's not just us because we... With all our projects, you know, with the podcast and with the virtual tours and stuff we did last year, we sort of interacted with uh, with our clients, you know, old clients and um, and tropical birding clients quite a bit. When we were chatting with them and writing them emails, and I've just um, interacting people again recently. I've I've noticed that people are are quite down this year. Eh? They're like, this is just this is just too long now you know it's like they, they were they were quite positive last year it's like oh well you know can't go tra- can't travel right now but you know it'll be fine and now it's like oh especially with people sort of in winter and the cold and not being able to go out and socialize it's uh it's a tough time for everybody i think yeah i'm sure i think the weather in in northern europe and the states plays a role there so ken and i have been having a few chats this week and we've decided to launch um a patreon page um, for those that don't know Patreon, it's a sort of platform that uh, projects can use to get uh, financial support. So we've always been very happy to do this um, this podcast for free. But um, we were thinking just in terms of the long-term viability of us doing it, you know, when we do get back to guiding and stuff like that, I think if, uh, if we do make a a little bit of money to support our families and stuff um, with this podcast and there's probably a better chance we're gonna it's gonna be a, a permanent fixture yep and shorter term it'll uh it'll help us get through this pandemic during which we have yeah, uh, exactly pretty much no employment but as you yeah. said we we absolutely wouldn't want anybody to not listen because they didn't they couldn't support us or whatever exactly. uh, or, or to feel guilty yeah. about it or whatever. You know, it's just, just enjoy it. This is something we're doing because, because we like it. Yep. So we've, we've made a few little um, support categories and there's different levels of support and we've given each category an animal name. So maybe you want to tell us about those, Ken. Yes. Well, <laughs> our first category is uh, <laughs> aardvark, um, which which is an animal that may feature prominently in a future episode. Very, very soon. Coming yeah. soon. <laughs> um, okay, good job. Oh, he's helping. Uh, to, our, our our car just made it back to Diego after being gone for uh, oh, more than a month, and so he's helping to unload it. And he was carrying the honey, and he was very, very proud. How did the car make it back? Uh, with the driver. Oh, you paid a driver and then you you fly them back down or what? 
They'll go on a bus. He'll go back on a bus. Or they can walk. It's a a good friend of ours. um, And he's also, uh, he's been out of work in the pandemic. So he was, he was happy to have. Okay. Gives him a bit of. Have some work. Support. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. So yeah, there's a aardvark and middle level is II, which that we we talked about that. That was one of your top, uh, what, top five from our last episode. Uh And the rarefied territory of support is snow leopard category. Uh, $20 a month. The first incredibly generous person to support us at this level is welcome to rename the category to another animal if they have a favorite animal. (laughs) Or if they like snow leopard, it can stay (laughs) as that. But uh, yeah, just to just to have a bit of fun. Yep. So we'll put the the link for that in the in the description below, or you can go to patreon.com and look for Naturally Adventurous. You should find us there. So I think we're going to get um, back into it. Um, this week we're going to get back to Ken's uh, top ten lifetime mammals, and I believe we are now at number four, right? Yeah, that's right. And this is a pretty special animal. I know it's got special significance in in your life it took you uh, many years to find it. <laughs> I, I i was i was lucky enough to see it quite early in my in my days in africa but that's the uh, that's the way that uh, the cookie crumbles so yeah i'd love to hear your take well, on the uh, the african wild dog yeah it's funny you know there's animals like i saw cheetah within about 10 days of moving to africa and then that's something that can be really? uh, quite a hard animal to encounter that, that took me a while. That was probably maybe three years or so before I saw my first cheetah in Africa here. But yeah, my my experience with wild dog was quite quite the opposite. Um, so I I've always just loved um, canids. Um, you know, my first big natural history love was snakes when I was uh, I don't know five, six, seven, and then the next thing I moved uh-huh. on to was was wolves and coyotes. Um, my family was always going out to Yellowstone because uh, I was born in Idaho, and there was coyotes all over the place, and I just loved them. Just, just thought they were awesome. So this was even before I got into birds. You know, it was snakes, and then it was canids. So I've just, just always had a soft spot for uh, for dogs. Maybe like you did with rhinos, um, just just yeah, gripped maybe. by canids. So certainly, when I moved to Africa, that was something. I was very keen to see was was African wild dog and my first few years in Africa I wasn't too worried about not seeing wild dog you know I, I it, it'll happen it'll, it'll happen. happen it'll happen just yeah patience <laughs> patience you know don't don't worry about it you know there's going to be an encounter one of these years and now yeah at at the same time I was I was putting myself in position to see wild dog you know I during the uh-huh. the World Cup, my brothers visited, and we went to Kruger for like ten days, and I spent several mm. days in the best areas of the park for wild dog, hoping I, I might have this uh, fortuitous encounter with them. Nothing, um, no no dogs. So the, 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 there's a there's a wonderful little system they've got in Kruger because a lot of um, people go there independently; they just sort of drive around. But in each camp, they've got a little map by the office. And they've got these little colored magnets, uh, one color for each of some, you know, several top animals. So I can't remember the colors. I think I think leopard was black and um, maybe a lion was red. And I think um, and then there was, what you know, a color for cheetah. There was a color for wild dog. So whenever you get into a camp and there's a whole bunch of these camps throughout Kruger, you can go and check 
out these these little maps, and then uh, you, you've got your own little map, and then you sort of say, okay, wild dogs were seen here today at this point. Okay, that's nearby. Let's go and check it out. And you'd because sometimes you know animals would you know they make a kill and they'd, they'd hang around there for a day or a few hours or whatever. So you would always shoot off and be able to sort of target your searches for different things. But uh, yeah, to no avail, obviously. <laughs> so. I found those maps so infuriating. As I recall, the color for Wild Dog is white. And, and every yeah, every time right, I yeah. got into one of these Kruger camps, on, on trip after trip after trip, I get in and I look at this <laughs> bloody map, and it's just, it's absolutely spattered with, with Wild Dog sightings. Really? You know, people have seen dogs everywhere. <laughs> All the places I've just driven, oh. dogs, 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 you know. I don't know if sometimes if kids might be, maybe just put these things randomly. They, here they and do. There, I've, I've seen that. I've seen is it? <laughs> kids just sort of play, playing with a magnet, sort of moving them around a bit. But <laughs> so it, it, was, it was pretty insulting, uh, pretty frustrating. Again, just trying not to pressure. Okay, you know, it'll happen. It'll happen. Well, <laughs> some kind of psychological barrier was crossed when I realized I had spent 10 years in Africa <laughs> I still hadn't seen a wild dog. You know, I, I, I did tours where I, I guided people in South Africa and then I dropped them off at a private game reserve and they saw wild dogs. Uh, you know, I guided people yeah. who'd done Kruger on their own and they saw wild dogs. It was, you know, these people who are on their first ever African trip, I'm like dropping them off and they're seeing dogs within three days. And this some, was uh, some some people with uh, with with young children. They would see their. Uh... <laughs> so my my son, I think it was maybe a year before you. He did a Namibia trip, and uh, yeah, they saw wild dogs. So for 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 a year, he was really uh, he was always asking me. So has Ken seen wild dog? And I'm like, nope, no, Ken hasn't seen wild dog. <laughs> the Namibia is another place. You know, I, I did trip after trip. I, I've probably done at least a dozen trips in Namibia and just always mm. dreaming of seeing wild dogs. You know, people would tell me, oh yeah, we saw them here near this gate and in Etosha. No, no wild dogs. And then a <laughs> bunch of times we did these trips where we ended in uh, Maun, Botswana, and then we drove, uh -huh. you know, I did, I did some of these on my own, some of these with you, but we drove back sort uh -huh. of uh, 15, 16 hours back to Vindhoek and you drive through the, like, the the heartland of the, of the the stronghold of wild dogs. Absolutely, the yeah. Mm. So you're driving through the heart of the Kalahari, the heart of the range of wild dogs. It's just this unfenced wilderness that just goes on for hundreds and hundreds of miles. And every time I drove that, I was just thinking, it's going to happen this time. It's just a pack of <laughs> pack of wild dogs is going to run across the road in front of me. And nope, nope, did not happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> when I hit this 10 year, 10 years in Africa, it was really starting to bother me. It was like, there's, there's a place, uh, there's a, a, a private reserve where you can go where they have radio tracked wild dogs. And I was just about to break down and go there and, and just say, okay, yeah. it's a little bit like you with the eye. It was like, okay, take, take, take me to the dog. Scruples are gone. I just want to see a bloody dog. <laughs> but... Fortune finally stepped in, and uh, uh -huh. I was guiding a northern Tanzania trip. Um, this was a set departure trip. This is my favorite trip to guide in the whole world. I absolutely love that trip. And this was even before I saw wild dogs. But uh, So we're, we're driving along one day, and I was uh, co-guiding this trip with Ian, one of the owners of Tropical Birding. And so he was, he was in the other vehicle, and I suddenly got this frantic call on the radio. Ah, there's dogs, dogs, wild dogs. Ah. 
And I, I, I just like screamed, turn around. And so we did this, this <laughs> like the fastest UE you can imagine in this big safari vehicle. It's, it's not a very tight U, but tires. I mean, we, we turned around and I shouted to everybody. I said, everybody sit down and hold on. And we just roared back. So we were sort of three or four kilometers away from, from the other vehicle. They sort of lingered oh, behind no, us, really? which that's a lot. That's a long ways when you're talking about a, you know, a fleeting wildlife sighting potentially oh, would seem like, seem like an eternity uh, an absolute eternity so we roared back <laughs> and and we got to the other car and and they were they're all kind of sitting there a little bit crestfallen like they so they'd glimpsed this thing not even everybody in the car had seen it and then it had disappeared and the, and the, they also knew so Ian knew that I had never seen wild dog and you know this was just this 10 year jinx mammal I was, I, as you know me, Charlie, I'm not uh, one to be easily gripped off. And, and I'm usually like pretty <laughs> philosophical about missing things. And yeah. um, this this would have been a devastating miss. Like <laughs> so much worse than just all the little white circles on the board at Kruger. Yeah. But so I, I, I pieced together. Okay. I, I asked people, okay, where did you see it? Where was it headed? And what I realized, oh yeah, there's a crossroad that goes down that way. So, you know, we go back and we hit a T and we can go left. And if the dogs have continued that way, then we might cross their path. So I was like, go, 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 go. So we, we shot off, (laughs) we got to the T and we're basically sitting there next to a river. And so we're, we're sort of watching the road and these animals theoretically can't get past us without crossing this road. And sure enough, it worked perfectly up trotted a whole pack of wild dogs just as I'd hoped. Fantastic. Just so, so satisfying. Um, I found them surprisingly huge. Um, first, you know, I, I thought of them as, you know, sort of coyote sized, but man, they're, they're big. They're, they're almost hyena sized. Really? Yeah. Tall, tall, not, not huge Mm. bodies, but such long legs Uh, and then big, uh, big, powerful jaws beautiful splotchy markings and multiple colors so so variable as well eh? super variable super variable and and huge ears absolutely huge ears Mm. just very very kind of funny (laughs) funny goofy looking in a way but yeah man it was it was a real special moment to finally see those dogs everybody on the the trip knew i'd never seen them before and uh, (laughs) i mean everybody in in the tropical birding knew this was like a huge nemesis for me and so it was like yeah it was big yep. news when i finally saw this this animal i think ian had already seen them i think i think he saw them in kruger and he, he hardly goes to kruger and he went like once and found a whole bunch of them sat under a tree somewhere i remember that a few years ago <sighs> i'm sure everybody everybody <laughs> saw wild everybody, dogs everybody before i did them. everybody yeah so can i can i quickly tell you my sighting it was uh, not quite yeah dramatic as yours but yeah it was it was on my one of my first trips it was maybe i'd maybe been in south africa a year or something like that and i i had a group of japanese clients and we we were in a vehicle and we were going along and there's a thing another thing in kruger so you've got your little maps with colored magnets and there's another thing which is you get these like groups of cars like um you'll kind of drive along a road and you'll see like oh there's about 10 cars there and I started realizing that you can kind of tell what it's going to be based on how many cars there are. Yep. 
Yeah, and sometimes you know you'll you know you might have five cars or whatever. It might be some elephants or you know ten cars or it might be a, a lion or twenty cars. It might be a leopard. You know, I was driving along this road and I don't know how many cars there were. It it, it was a it was a slow moving convoy, and I so I think it must have gone around a bend and I can actually see these this convoy of cars and it just went on and on and on, and I couldn't believe it. And I I got. I got to the front car because I was going in the other direction and I sort of stopped and I was like, what is it? And they were like, wild dogs. And and these wild dogs were, were walking parallel to the road and in the same direction as this convoy. So the, the front vehicle was level with the with the dogs. Yeah. And And he pointed them out. And I was like, oh, my God, we had a quick look. And then we start reversing. So we are going at the same speed as a front vehicle going the other direction. So now not only you've got a huge convoy in one lane, you've got a reverse convoy in the other lane, or, you know, going going backwards. <laughs> and and then, you know, people, I would see a car behind, and then I, you know, I'd sort of slow down a little bit, and they would see the dogs, and they would sort of start reversing as well. So <laughs> we, I don't... We had seriously. I mean, there was like thirty or forty cars in this convoy coming one way, and in the end, we probably had about ten or fifteen cars all reversing in the opposite direction like that. But we we were we had the sort of prime location because we were we were level with the with the lead car and the other one, so we were getting really really good views. But they they, they were just on they were just moving they were moving the whole time. So I don't think I got any photos or anything, but it was quite a it was quite a funny sighting. Just to tell people a little bit more about wild dogs, it's one of these animals, a bit like the rhinos. You know, they used to be common. They used to be all over the whole continent in all kinds of different habitats. And their range has shrunk way down to a few strongholds and a few little uh, outlier populations like in North Africa. Uh, I think the population's down to around 1,400 individuals, uh, which is pretty really? terrifying. It's, uh, it's an endangered species. It's just a just a rapid rapid decline as well. I, I remember in in Kruger, I remember at one point there was four hundred and fifty, and next time I heard there was like two hundred. They'd, they'd like halved in just a, a, a few years. I think they are they're quite subject to some canine diseases, and they often they might right. get passed from you know semi wild dogs, and yeah. it's one of these animals that so they're pack hunters very very social and they hunt as a group and i think they have the highest kill rate of any of the predators in africa really um they can they can chase things for miles and miles and just wear them down yep so once a pack of dogs starts chasing an antelope or something they they usually get it which is not yep. the case with lions or even leopards you know they no. they, they have like a one in three shot, shot or something and that's yeah. even they're, they're usually getting within a few meters of something and they still often get away but dogs think it's around 80 percent um kill rate so they're pretty pretty remarkably efficient predators but they just need big I'm, open areas just yeah. you know large undisturbed um land and i think they're often poisoned or shot by farmers as well um because they naturally will take livestock i think they can uh, I, I think I, you know you get this thing where where carnivores just absolutely hate each other you know they'll they'll if 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 you get a lion and a leopard or a, a lion and a wild they'll, they'll you know without even hesitating they'll they'll kill the the cubs or yep. or 
or whatever. So I know in places with high lion densities, they really suffer. You know, often their cubs get killed by uh, by lions or leopards, hyenas. Yeah, Probably so hyenas. It's, uh, yeah, it's a tough. It's a tough life. And that sort of pressure, I'm sure, is exacerbated by shrinking range. And these predators are probably more pushed together in some of the same reserves, and it changes the dynamic. I know in 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 a lot of in I remember in Amkuzi, there was poachers used to come in and they would set snares for anything. You know, they, they might get an antelope or whatever, but um, the wild dogs would often often get caught in snares. And there were so many snares put in in Amkuzi game reserve where near where I used to live that. The, I think there was two packs of wild dogs and and they were radio collared and they would try and get a visual on each individual every day just to make sure it wasn't caught in the snare somewhere. Wow. So it was pretty sort of labor-intensive um, conservation. Beautiful dogs. I, I still need to see the Southern African ones, which that, that population is, I think, even more attractive than the, the East African really? ones. Yeah, they... Yeah, quite pretty. The, the the one thing with them, I think I think the one of these ones where there's sort of alpha males and females, and they're the sort of only ones to actually actually breed, and all the other members of the pack they sort of help help rear those uh, those pups. I I know they they can have very big litters. Yeah, of, um, that's right. Of pups, and 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 although you know sometimes they can, they can bounce back very quickly. I remember there there was just down to a few individuals in Amkuzi, and that two years later there was loads of them, and they were having to catch them and and uh, dart them and send them off to other reserves and stuff like that. So they are able to make quite quick comebacks. It's tricky. Uh, it must be tricky to manage an animal like that that has these boom and bust cycles in yeah. these smaller yeah. fenced reserves. You know, when you just had the yeah. whole the whole continent, they just sort of disperse and. But yep. it gets a lot trickier when you've got these little, little reserves. Cool. Should we move on to your next yep. mammal? Yep. Cool. So um, we're down to your number three, I think, now, which is Puma or Mountain Lion or Cougar or <laughs> any one of those names. Yeah, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other South American names. Like well, Puma is a common one, right, uh, throughout uh, I think the official name, yeah, the official name is Puma, and I think that actually comes from Quechua. I think that's that's a name from South America. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, another uh, a big cat. I guess it's quite a special one in North America as sort of the only big, really big predator left in a lot of yeah. North America. So it, it has this kind of almost spiritual attraction to it. You know, people. I, I've always found that people are quite romantic about big predators especially in places where they're yeah. they're almost gone or or completely gone um there's something there's some part of us that it, it's just like wired to be in a place that has animals wandering around that can kill us so i hear a lot of talk in the states about mountain lions and they're not seen all that often it's one of these animals where people have spent their whole lives in the wilderness might not have seen them or, or only seen them a couple times I think even I, I mean a lot of big predators are very elusive, whatever. But I think I think really even in terms of big predators, they're like one of the most elusive um, cats to see, aren't they? Yep. Which I guess is why they've survived in areas with pretty high yeah. human density as well. They're, they're, they they manage to just keep out yeah. of their way. Um, it has an incredibly huge range too, right? It's it's basically yeah all the way down to uh, Tierra del Fuego in the south yeah so the sort whole of Canada I guess of South America some of the boreal forest all the way down 
to uh, yeah, Tierra del Fuego. It's crazy, unbelievably adaptable yeah, animal, but still hard to see. I mean, most people who have seen puma have seen it in in Argentina, right? There's a, there's it's, a, it's actually Chile. Oh, Chile. Okay, it's what is it called? Yeah, Torres there's del a Viña national park. It's called Torres del Paine. Torres del Paine. Okay. It, it's because the Paine is actually. It actually comes from pain like i think it, i think it was an irish person there was a few sort of irish settlers and they named this place after after mr pain but of course being spanish they call it piney so it, and and they had these like tower-like mountains it's stunning scenery these big pinnacles and they're the towers the pain the pains towers but they call it Torres del ah, okay. i've never actually been there but i'm i'm dead when i when when i not if i when i go and look for this animal and um, that's where i'm going to be going so i think um Hopefully, at some point, I'll do a little hiking trip there and uh, see if I can go and find them. That's where, that's where Keith saw his there. That seems to be the place. Like, if you want to go somewhere yeah. and spend a week and have a very good chance of seeing a mountain lion, that's that's the place. But despite the fact that yeah. it's found almost everywhere in the Western Hemisphere, there's one park where it can be sort of reliably seen. And I don't know why. Mm. I guess it's quite open. and It's open, yeah. yeah. And there must be a reasonably high prey density, and there must be some factors yep. there. But... I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of the Western United States is quite open, but you just don't see mountain lions um, regularly. Yeah. It's just incredibly elusive. I suspect the populations in the Western United States have been selected for individuals that are really wary, uh, you know, Yeah. because the one, the bold ones didn't survive. Um, but so I, uh, I, I always remember I, uh, I, I went um, hiking in uh, on Vancouver Island. And I, you always hear that it's got like the, the highest puma density in the world. And, you know, there's there's a, a park that I went there, Goldstream Park. And they say it's, you know, it's one of the highest densities. And, you know, you, you'll, you'll go out hiking and you won't see a puma, but uh, most likely one will see you. So it's, um, and that, that was sort of on my mind when I was walking through this place. So I'm, I'm one of the fortunate people who's actually seen one just uh, by chance. And I've actually seen it wow. twice in the western really? united states although i definitely put wow. in my time out there you know i did uh summer survey yeah. work for about eight years and you know i just spent wow. countless hours hiking in the western united states and i didn't hike on trails and stuff you know i was just doing like back uh -huh. backcountry surveys i was doing yeah. line transect surveys where you basically start at some you know fence post or something and you walk just miles into the into the forest or into the into the wilderness, which is a good way to, to, to see some of these tough animals. You know, you, you don't go where everybody else goes. It can be, it can be pretty tough walking sometimes when you, you know, you, some of these surveys, you just walk straight up a mountain and then you go down the mountain then you go up the next mountain. It's like, they're not designed for your uh, convenience or ease, but you see no. some really wild places. You know, I, I would get into these places and I would wonder like, when was the last time another person was here? Um, you know, maybe wow. it was some Native American 200 years ago or something. You know, maybe yeah. maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe there was some uh, some guy on a motorbike a week ago. But places that had this feeling of being real wilderness. So, yeah, yeah the first mountain lion I ever saw was in northern New Mexico, pretty pretty remote uh, national forest in northern New Mexico. And I was doing a bird survey. I was um, I was sort of sitting down and writing on my clipboard 
you know, when you do bird surveys, you're basically just hearing things and just writing down birds as fast as you can. Yep. It was in a pinion uh, juniper forest. And it's kind of a scrubby, okay. scrubby forest sort of savanna. And I heard a twig crack behind me. Like a classic, you know, like something out of a book. And I uh, turned around and there was a mountain lion about 15 feet behind me kind of no. crouched <laughs> really? and, and you know i was oh, sitting on the God. ground and because of the the slope I, I was just looking right into its eyes the amazing thing about this encounter was it didn't feel at all threatening to me um so this was a yeah. sort of a three-quarters grown mountain lion it wasn't a huge mountain lion you, right. you could just tell it was a sort of a young mountain lion it wasn't mm -hmm. maybe it wasn't real confident i just didn't sense any threat from it you know i just looked right in its eyes and i didn't sense any threat i can't really explain you know n typically we've talked about some of these encounters before on the podcast right when you have when you encounter an animal like that all these instincts just take over and just yep. go go into yep. overdrive and you just get this spike of adrenaline and and, and i just didn't get any of that it was very weird because you know you just rewrite this story and you imagine you're going to be essentially maybe thrilled and terrified simultaneously. I was thrilled, but I, I just didn't feel threatened what, whatsoever. Feel it, really? I, I just looked uh -huh. at its eyes for a while, and then I, I moved a little bit, and it just turned around and scampered off. Wow. Didn't feel any threat, despite, you know, the... Naturally, you would have thought it was stalking me, and maybe it was. But I think I was too big, and it I was... I think sometimes they do it out of curiosity, yeah. Just I reckon, the... yep. It was yeah. too small. It wasn't fully grown. It wasn't a confident hunter. So it was, it was, uh -huh. it was quite an encounter. Um, something I dreamed of seeing. Although, although they can, they can take, you know, prey bigger than themselves, can't they? I've seen, I've seen some footage of, uh, you know, some pretty impressive kills. I think with this one, it just didn't have the experience. You know, I'm sure maybe it was physically right. capable of that, yeah. but it just wasn't a uh, fully grown and fully experienced hunter. I don't know. You know, maybe I'm just imagining all this. Maybe it was. You, maybe it would have for, killed for me if I hadn't turned around. Well, for those that don't know, Ken, he's he's quite a big guy as well. You're pretty tall, so <laughs> if you were a little scrawny, scrawny dude, maybe it would have. Uh, yeah, it might might make a difference. Like that uh, <laughs> that anaconda story I, I told you a few weeks ago. Yeah, this, exactly this little short about. guy walking around, and the anaconda finally decided, "Yep, yeah. I, I can definitely eat him." So, yeah, that was that was the first encounter I had. The second encounter was in actually in the Black Hills, but it was in the little Wyoming section of the Black Hills. So the Black Hills is this sort okay. of isolated mountain range that's in, I guess it's in southwest South Dakota, and then it, there's a little bit of it in Wyoming, and it's sort of the furthest east extension of the Rocky Mountains um, biome. You know, it has has ponderosa pine forest and other coniferous forests and it has most of the most of the birds and other animals of the rocky mountains although it's quite isolated by the plains it's quite a quite a cool place you get a few eastern things show up there and then some western things are lacking but i was i was doing a bird survey it was like a a riparian forest survey so on these, you can't really go in a perfectly straight line. You just follow the, the water course. So mm -hmm. I was basically walking through this canyon in, in the Western Black Hills. 
and it was it's not a huge canyon but you know maybe 30 40 meters um so it's so i'm at the bottom of this fairly narrow kind of snaking canyon and walking along and doing a survey uh, every few hundred meters stopping and doing a point count survey and i'd done about half of the survey and i was walking along and suddenly around around the bend of the of the canyon in front of me i caught sight of the back of a big animal and it was walking mm -hmm. sort of the same speed as me in the same direction so i actually sort of walked up behind it slowly and my first take was that this was an elk um, <laughs> because it was absolutely enormous and just the breadth of the back um uh -huh. you know it just it just seemed like a huge animal i thought oh that's an elk and then i looked again and i realized that's a mountain lion huge mountain lion <laughs> Ooh. and the nature of this encounter was just completely different than that first one i described i felt really? immediately incredibly threatened because i was in this this narrow canyon you know i'm basically walking along and there's constantly some kind of cliff over my head and then there's this huge mountain lion there that's you know probably weighs similar to me big confident adult i'm in its territory i don't even think it was aware of me i just happened to come up behind it which is a, you know it's pretty pretty incredible to, to have that sort of yeah. sighting where the animal's not even aware of you but i you know i did uh i did hundreds of these surveys and i don't think i ever failed to complete one except on that day and on that day i, I decided <laughs> I, I think it's ridiculous to finish to try to do the rest of the survey because i this this line is walking the same direction i am like do yeah. i am i gonna walk another mile and a half in this sort of gauntlet through this uh through this canyon knowing this mountain <laughs> lines here it just you know it struck me as as a ridiculous For thing to do sake so of I, uh, check check off a couple of birds yeah yeah i just i just didn't didn't finish the survey just called <laughs> it a day the only time I did that right. in eight years of, of doing these surveys. Um, wow. So, yeah, it, it strikes me just how different these encounters were. You know, this one, I didn't even look in its eyes and I didn't see it very well. But just glimpsing this huge shape in front of me. And then I think the nature of the terrain was somehow menacing as well. But, yeah, uh -huh. it, was, it was a wonderful encounter as well. So I, I've only seen it twice. Um, and then well, that's that's twice more than most people. <laughs> Years ago, when I was birding in in Chile, I went to a place called uh, Chiloe Island, and I was birding along this road, and I saw I saw a, a deer hanging like a small a small deer like hanging up in a tree, and I thought maybe maybe it's someone had hit it with a car, and it, and I was like, but why would anyone hang hang a dead deer in a tree? It just seems such a strange thing to do, and I I never really thought much of it again, and. A while later, I chatted to somebody, and they and they told me that um, that pumas they they hang their prey. Often they'll make they'll make a kill and they'll hang it up. I don't know whether it kind of tenderizes it or what. I mean, often hunters will sort of hang stuff up. So um, yeah, it was quite it was quite interesting uh, thing that I learned. You know what? I I always I I think I was pretty close to seeing a puma once. Eh? I was. I was in Peru once, up in a, I, over 3,000 meters in the mountains, maybe uh, 3,500 meters doing some birding. And I camped up there. 
and it froze. The ground used to frost over at night, you know. And I was in my little tent, in my little cheap sleeping bag, freezing to death, <laughs> laying there, you know, sort of, yeah, with a with a little candle, keeping warm on the candle, whatever. But I, I was just sort of laying there, like three in the morning or four in the morning, and I heard these footsteps outside the tent. These just very soft, padded footsteps. It was obviously quite a large animal, and I was like, oh my god! And I, and and I'm kind of just thinking about where my stuff is and I I, because I usually keep my flashlight quite close to the thing in case I need to run out and I got my flashlight and I thought I'm going to try and jump out and shine the flashlight and see what's making this noise and I I did it, I sort of prepared myself and then I sort of opened the thing and jumped out and then I shone my light around and there was, it was pretty open, there was some forest like you know, maybe 50 meters away or whatever but I if there was a big animal, there were cows in that area, but it took me about two seconds to jump out of this tent. And I got out there, there was no cows around. There was no big grazers or whatever. It was something that it, it was a large animal that moved very quickly to get away from me. And I, I always firmly believe that this was a, this was a puma. It sounds like uh, anyway. It sounds like you're due to see one. You've had a few close brushes. I well, I've I've got this. I've got this plan. I've got this plan of going to Torres del Paine. I just I'll just stay there until I until I see one. That that part of the world yeah. just looks amazing. It, That's one of my the top oh, places. It'd be I great to go. just to go off hiking and yeah, yep. it looks amazing. And and I think the way that Keith saw it was quite interesting because he was using you know he's he's, he's pretty sm- you know he's pretty good in the field, but. I think there was some deer. There was maybe some white-tailed deer or whatever, and they were and he was they were doing these alarm calls. And I think they had the sort of heads up pointing, you know, like we see in Africa often when the antelopes they 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 sense or they smell a, a lion, or whatever. They'll sort of face, they'll stand it, they'll make a um, a pose and sort of stand towards it, like looking up, very alert. And he said he saw these deer just doing this. It was almost like pointing to where this mountain lion should be. And I think then he had some sort of raptor. It might have been like a caracara, maybe soaring round and coming down and perching. And he was thinking, there's a kill there. I bet this is a puma with a kill. And he sort of maneuvered round, got some high ground and looked down. And sure enough, there was a, there was a, he found this puma kill and he saw this amazing, he had this amazing puma sighting. So yeah, I'm definitely uh, planning to, this is one of my trips that I were definitely keen to do. So that's a South African um, bushcraft. Yeah, bushcraft, yeah, <laughs> fully. <laughs> anyway, let's 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 uh, let's move on to the last one for today. We we wanted to try and squeeze three animals in today. So uh, next week, next uh, time, it'll just be down to our top ones. So let's move to your number two, which I believe is wolf. Yeah, wolf. That's it's got to be what the world's most widespread predator because it's it's circumpolar and all then all across. Yeah. And then down, I don't know, I'm not sure how far. They certainly got well down into Mexico. Love, yeah, I think down into India and places like that. You know, the, oh, definitely. the deserts. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, and the Chinese deserts and stuff. Yeah, incredibly uh, widespread sort of circumpolar animal. Um, yeah, as I told you, I grew up obsessed with wolves and coyotes, and and saw them in Yellowstone from time to time. Uh-huh. But. I guess I'd never heard wolves howling, which, you know, it's got to be one of the great natural sounds, uh, iconic kind of th- sound. I, I hear that natural sound every day. At least, 
in my little housing estate <laughs> full of dogs howling. It's kind of drives me nuts. So I, uh, but yeah, one summer I was I was working in the Rockies in the West, um, but I, I had a bit of work in eastern South Dakota, and I realized I'm I'm pretty close Ooh. to the sort of the southern outskirts of the boreal forest in northern uh, uh-huh. Minnesota. So I yeah. decided I would shoot up there for a couple of days, get to see some different birds, uh, some boreal birds and some more eastern birds, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I went up there for a few days, and I just got as deep into the wilderness as I could, back on little, you know, forest, uh, national forest roads, and, you know, it's uh, it's that north country, it's, super, it's very boggy, and there's just endless beaver dams and swamps, and... Uh, you know, it wasn't real easy to walk around. I, I remember doing this big long hike, and I just spent half the hike like walking on like little mounds of dirt, and then a beaver dam, and then like a little—it's just one big swamp. So different than the western mountains, which are you know quite dry. And but I, I was enjoying it. And, but what was the reason? This is my number two sighting. Was it? it there was just this bizarre coincidence which was I was I was lying in my tent one night way back in the north woods and I was actually reading Aldo Leopold's uh, Sand County Almanac. Have you read that, Charlie? I have no idea what that is. Really? Ah, it's it's one of these sort of canonical yeah. uh, books for American naturalists. He was right. a, he was a bit of a birder and a naturalist and a, a great uh-huh. great writer. Uh, you you'd love it, you know. Uh-huh. You, if you you grew uh-huh. up reading like Durrell it's uh-huh. uh, it's in that sort of ilk, you know, real real nature lover, but so he has different chapters, and he had a whole chapter about wolves, and I, so I was literally lying there in my tent reading about wolves um, from this sort of romantic <laughs> perspective of Aldo Leopold, and I and I yeah. I mean I kid you not, I had just shut the book and turned off my light and to go to bed, and a whole pack of wolves started howling. Yeah, I'm not very far no away way. from me, and it, you know, it, it just <laughs> it sent shivers down my spine. Like I just Ooh. can't can't even explain. You know, it was, it was just weird. It was like I wasn't even thinking about the possibility of that happening, even though I knew I was sort of theoretically uh-huh. in range for them. And the fact that yeah. they were just right there after I'd read this this chapter on wolves, it was uh, this staggering coincidence, um, unforgettable, and, and it's just. A spine-tingling sound. Any you know, anytime you hear wolves howling like at night, it's one of these visceral, primal sounds. You know, when you think of yeah, of our ancestors, human ancestors, like that's a sound that really inspired awe and fear through most of our history. Yeah, um, up yeah. like like a, a lion roaring is the same kind of thing. You know, you just feel that like something is being pulled up from some deep place inside of you that you didn't even know you had. And I felt that way. Uh, it was incredibly thrilling. Um, and after that, I, I've seen wolves a couple times. Uh, last time I saw wolves right. was actually in India. You mentioned India in northern uh, India in Ladakh. Um, uh-huh. Had a couple fantastic wolf sightings up there in the Himalayas, sort of 15, 16,000 really? feet. I, I, I won't spoil my uh no. <laughs> top lifetime sighting but it, it's it's a bit related to that have you seen a very special animal no i haven't I, I haven't been in that many places where they occur i mean a, a lot of my nature traveling has been in the tropics really so i haven't done 
much um, high latitude stuff. I mean, the one time that I actually went specifically to look for them was was in Italy. There's there's a national park called Abruzzo, and we and my sister lives in Italy, and and it was only maybe two hours away from her house. So I thought, no, let's uh, I'm going to go to this national park and uh, drive around. There's brown bear there as well, so which people actually see occasionally. So. Yeah, we drove around a little bit, but yeah, no, no takers. But I, it, it's certainly not something that I, I feel I deserve to see just yet. But um, yeah, it, uh, it is an iconic animal, and I would dearly love to see them one day. North America's got some pretty cool mammals, really. It does. If you think about it. Yep, mm. it's a good place for mammals. You know, something that fascinates me is that the coyotes seem to be evolving to get bigger and bigger. In places that don't right. have wolves anymore, which right. makes perfect sense <laughs> ecologically. And, like, you know, if there's tons and tons of deer around, as in the Northeast United States, um, yep. it, it pays to be big and then to be able to, to yep. easily kill a deer. And so the coyotes are getting bigger. Uh-huh. And they're essentially, you know, they're very, very closely related genetically to wolves. Yeah. Um, I guess. A little miniature version. Yep. And, and so when there was wolves around, they were like the little the little scavenger brother to the the big predator wolf, and they yep. you know follow the wolf packs and yep. scavenge their kills. But now there's no more wolves, and it's like uh, nature abhors a vacuum. Now, apparently, yeah. a woman was killed by coyotes in I think it was in New Brunswick or something, and they they were these really? like big big coyotes. Um, yeah. It's tragic, but you know it's a fascinating uh, phenomenon. But yeah, no dog. Any any kind of wild dog sighting is is pretty pretty special. It's a special group. I I, I must say I do like them myself as well. Oh, love dogs. Uh, jackals. You know, I just mm. never get tired of seeing jackals in Africa. It's just it's fantastic. And there's some of these, you know, like side striped jackal. I've only seen that a handful of times. Yeah. Not a very common. Oh really? Animal. Yeah. No. no. Very good. So that's some uh, pretty exciting stories there. And we've we've built it up nicely, so our next our final um, episode of uh, Top Lifetime Mammals is going to be my number one and Ken's number one. So that's going to be uh, something to look forward to. Yep, I guess we'll do that next week unless uh, something yeah, happens in the we meantime. Find and we're, we uh, are hoping to maybe get some guests in the next few weeks as well. We've got a, a list of people that we're planning to try and get on the show. This episode's natural sound. I'll I'll dig up a, a wolf somewhere. I'm sure I can find one online Definitely. somewhere. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that'd be an appropriate one. Definitely. Good catching up, and um, look forward to the next episode. Likewise, catch you then.